us over the years this morning. May we be touched again by your mercy and your grace and be enabled through the power of your spirit to share it with others. In Jesus' name. Well, we're going to be continuing on the Sermon on the Plain this week and uh, we, there's no uh, data projector or whatever this morning. So uh, if you could find it in your Bibles or devices or whatever, on techno stuff I sort of treat with a bit of contempt. But anyway, whatever, just find it. So it's uh, Luke chapter 6 verses 27 to 36. So it's in the Sermon on the Plain. There's a parallel passage to this that uh, people down the ages have, uh, have pointed out that uh, this portion of the Sermon on the Plain has a parallel passage that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. So this, um, this passage from the Sermon on the Plain talks about love. So what am I going to talk about today? I'm going to be talking about tough love. And um, how am I going to say it? I'm going to be talking about Brendan Tarrant and talk about a discussion we had in our life group last week. And uh, I'm just going to talk about the first couple of verses in this uh, passage this morning. And I'm going to ask the question of how we should respond to, to Brendan Tarrant in the light of what he's done. So, so that's what we're going to talk about. So... When I was in my early 20s, I was involved in an addictions recovery group. I was a member of that group for a few months. And it was quite a formative time in my life. And I met some remarkable people from all walks of life. And it was a long time ago now, so the person I'm going to be talking about is long dead. But I met this man who had been a senior barrister in another city and he was an alcoholic and uh, his alcoholism cost him his, his marriage, his family, his career, his reputation, his dignity, his house and his mental health. Uh, he lived in Hagley Park although to look at him you wouldn't recognise it as being the case and he slept on park benches. He was a remarkable man in the respect that, um, that he survived so long. But his mental health meant that he was a bit, um, a bit terse to talk to. But anyway, I got to know him a wee bit and uh, he used to get arrested a wee bit from time to time living in Hagley Park on park benches and his behaviour wasn't quite normal and uh, he would talk about how he got arrested and he'd always mention a person's name and uh, he'd say for instance oh, I accompanied John Smith to the, pit, uh, to the police station so oh, okay, was, who was John Smith? Uh, he was John Smith <laughs> and so Right, okay, what was your relationship with John Smith? Uh, we were, yeah, we were fellow humans, okay. So it turns out that John Smith and all the rest of the people that he referred to were police. 
And I asked him, why don't you mention that he's a policeman or his title or his rank or whatever? He said, no, that dehumanises him. And he ceases to be a human. And um, it had a profound impact on me that in our interactions with people, we often put titles and gender and whatever, whatever, in between the fact of our shared humanity, which is so precious. It transcends our ethnicity, our genders, and whatever else, our stations in life. And so what's this got to do with Brendan Tarrant? And uh, how many people in here know who Brendan Tarrant is? Okay, so about half of us know who Brendan Tarrant is. So, the thing I loved about AA was that it was ruthlessly honest, is that people had to own up to the fact that you were, they were there entirely because of what they'd done. There was no excuses. And so it was ruthlessly honest, but it was so honest and refreshing, and it had a profound impact on me. It's just this little sign. But Brendan Tarrant is the person who went into the mosques with a gun and killed over 50 people. He's nameless at Jacinda Ardern's request that his name not be published in the media. Uh, I guess I react a wee bit to that because it dehumanises him and makes him almost, it almost objectifies him rather than actually as a person. Mia Leanne Dalzell has said on a number of occasions that she will never forgive him, which is a bit of a problem too. As I thought about this, I thought, over time, I reflected and think, how am I going to respond to Brendan Tarrant in this situation? And it just occurred to me, as thinking about this man who had been an alcoholic, he used to say, now that, that policeman, he has a mother and a father. He's loved. And Brendan Tarrant had a mother so there's a woman in Australia who's grieving over the actions of her son, but that can dim never diminish her love for her son. Recently I was talking to a woman in her 90s who has Alzheimer's, and the majority of her are great-grandchildren and grandchildren. Half of her grandchildren don't live in New Zealand. She hasn't met the majority of her great-grandchildren and is not likely to. And I said to her, do you ever think about your grandchildren and great-grandchildren? And she said to me, I think about him a lot and wonder what he's doing. I think about him a lot. I'm not sure who she was talking about. She was talking about her first grandchild, whom she held for less than a minute prior to him being offered up for adoption nigh on 50 years ago. She hadn't talked about this for most of that time, at least 40 years. She had never forgotten. 
And we were talking about this in our life group the other night. We often talk about abortion and the impact it has on people and trying to actually come to grips with it. But, but um, probably, uh, sorry, Isaiah 49 verses 15 and 16 came to mind. So here, uh, the book of Isaiah is addressing a group of people who are in exile. The people from Judah and Jerusalem find themselves in the modern day, what is modern day Iraq, in exile. And they're there solely because of their actions. They're there for 70 years, and in that time, they're constantly reminded that they're away from home entirely because of their actions. And so, in verses 15 and 16 of Isaiah 49, this is what the Lord said through Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. That even if a mother could forget us, God cannot forget. Even if a mother could not forget, it could forget that God cannot forget us. And so God hasn't forgotten Brendan Tarrant, even in the light of what he has done. If Brendan Tarrant were the only person alive on this, on this earth, Jesus would have come for him, I believe. Such is the love of God and the mercy of God. So these people in, this, uh, the, the, in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36, which I hope you found in your Bibles, um, these people uh, were people who were people under stress. They were subject to Roman occupation. Prior to that, they have been subject to Greek occupation and the Persians before that. And they have been in exile prior to that. And so, and the Babylonians preceding that as well. And so, there were people under stress. They were not free in their own country. So when they to, a lot of people deliberated, who are the enemies that are being referred to here in this passage? And it's, and it's probably um, outsiders and foreigners. They had an... A, a, apocalyptic worldview they, they, they thought and hoped that the end of the world was coming the, uh, the people that Jesus is talking to here they were stressed and just generally angry they, they thought the end of history was about to come and God would set things straight and they would be proven to be right you know as people we have a longing for life to be simple and in our search for simplicity, we often objectify others and, and demonise them. And I don't know what Brendan Tarrant's background was, but when, when you read his readings, they're quite apocalyptic in terms of the end has come. The end has come, and um, we're a society under stress. The impact of... Um, of, of globalisation, immigration, 
And all these things cause us to look for simple answers for complex issues. And uh, we often end up demonising somebody. So we're going to have, we'll just read the text here this morning, uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, 6 verses 27 to 36. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill treat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn, turn to him the other also. If someone strikes and takes your cloak, do not stop. From taking, stop, stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you love those who, who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. So Jesus is calling here for the, for the listeners as they consider what it is to be disciples, to love their enemies. To date, the Bible had said in Leviticus 19.18, to love your neighbour as yourself. But here, Jesus parks that aside and say, no, 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 love your enemies The rest of this section unpacks what he's, what he's been saying. Jesus is telling would-be disciples that discipleship involves non-violent love toward an enemy when the laws of the day might sanction a more hostile response. When it's talking about that, uh, you know, if your enemy should slap you, this was quite an offence in those days. You probably... Uh, the right cheek, somebody slapped with the, with the back of their hand, and that was considered an, act, an insult in both Roman and Jewish law. And so what, what you were saying, at least in, under Jewish law, that this person whom you slapped on the right cheek was not made in the image of God. You were dehumanising them, saying they're not fit to be human effectively denying, denying their humanity. It was a punishable offence under both laws, under Jewish and Roman law. Jesus asks that a disciple not consider to be a legal redress for this, but to live with the indignity of being slapped on the, on, on the side of the face and saying that you're less than human for the sake of relationship. That's what he's saying here, for the sake of relationship. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn, turn to him the other also. So it's for the sake of relationship that, this, that Jesus is telling would-be disciples, hey, 
don't take legal redress for this. The same, the surrendering of one's outer, outer cloak violated Jewish law. Under Jewish law, a person couldn't go without... Uh, he couldn't give his cloak to somebody for more than 24 hours. Uh, it was his right to have a cloak. So if you owed some, somebody some money and, and they asked for your cloak as security, under, under Jewish law, they had to give it back within that day. And so, and so Jesus is saying, hey, if somebody takes away your cloak, give them your undergarment as well, which of course meant that, um, that they, uh, they, went without, they went naked. And rather than taking legal pro uh, protection for the sake of relationship, give them your cloak. And of course, Jesus probably died naked on the cross. His clothes were taken away. And the, the, uh, the indignity that, he, that he, he had in being crucified on the cross with very few, if any, clothes gave to us the indignity that he had and the shame that he had gives us dignity in our lives. He exchanged his indignity for our dignity, his shame for our dignity. Jesus was mocked and insulted and abused before he went to the cross. Jesus is here advocating a stance of is he, is, is he asking us to be passive in the face of evil here? That is, to say to ourselves, oh, this is just the way things are? Or is he saying that we should retaliate in some way? No, he's asking us to take a third way. He seems to be advocating a third way of non-violent resistance. And he's doing this by way of shock to expose evil and injustice. So somebody he's saying, if somebody slaps you on the side of the face, off the other one. If they ask for your tunic, give them your undergarment as well to shock them and expose evil and injustice. This is an, this is a, an alternative and far tougher route than passivity and uh, retaliation. Because it means that we're not, re we're not replying in kind. This alternative is a tougher way of fighting evil without being transformed into the evil we are fighting and in so doing become what we hate. P passively accepting evil or acts of retribution dehumanizes us as well as those to whom we are, we are being passive towards. The heart of not seeking legal redress for insult, theft and indignity is the desire for relationship and the restoration above and beyond the legal system. Relationship and restoration at the heart of God's justice. Far more important than legal demands of the day. I'll just repeat that again. The heart of not seeking legal redress for insult, theft, and dignity is the desire for relationship and restoration above and beyond the letter of a legal system. Relationship and restoration are at the heart of God's justice, the very core of it. Let's read this again. But I tell you, you who hear me, 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes away your cloak, do not stop him from taking away your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. often think that the love of God is like a coin, a coin that has two sides. One side is called mercy and the other side is called grace. Mercy is when God doesn't give to us what we deserve in the face of the fact of what we've done and what we're not. But grace, on the other hand, is when God gives us what we don't deserve and acts of kindness. The love of God has two sides, mercy and grace. And it's because of the mercy and grace of God that we're here this morning. The love of God. The mercy and the grace of God. And so the way that we behave is bound up in the character of God. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Our ethics are framed by the character of God. As Jeremy was saying last week about how coming to know what God is like is a lifelong journey. And uh, if you don't know what God is like, start that journey today.